This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. And what a lineup we have for you. One of the UK's most successful entrepreneurs joined us live, James Kahn, CBE. He of Dragon's Den fame was on hand giving his top advice for you looking to start a business or scale it up. His top tips, Ludmilla Maliva on hand to answer all of your legal questions from protecting yourself from fake profiles on social media to unemployment insurance, what you need to know. Simon Riaz from The Link talking about the importance of a mentor for women and teens. And Emma Burdett, the founder of Wild, talks leadership in women. Why is it so important and why can men help too? Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. So honoured to be joined in the studio now by James Conn, CBE no less, the British-Pakistani entrepreneur, author, television personality, best known as an investor in BBC's Dragon Den, and the founder of Recruitment Entrepreneur. Here he is in action. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to make you an offer. I'll offer you the £80,000, but I'd want 50%. And the reason why I'd want 50% is because I don't really know at this stage what the business is. James, thank you very much for your kind offer. What we'd like to do is offer you from our stock of eight cars, one of each, which you may want to use for a charity purpose, and 30% of our company. Got yourself a deal, guys. Ah, right. So this is your opportunity this afternoon to pick his brains. It could be a startup idea you're floating. Maybe you want to scale up your business but don't know how. Or perhaps you find yourself in a bit of a tricky conundrum. We've had some very... um intriguing questions for you James Khan. how are you this afternoon extremely well thank you on that parenthood movie it didn't you, by don't any you, chance don't you dare don't you dare <laughs> friend of the show you cannot win okay. <laughs> it's lovely to have you with us what brings you to Dubai this time I know you've got family here but you've got a bit of a working hat on as well I have we're just in the process of launching our business recruitment entrepreneur international in Dubai which is a business that invests in entrepreneurs who want to start their own recruitment business, be it an executive search or contingent recruitment or RPO. We have um, about 50 businesses all over the world that we backed and invested in. And we've had an incredible you know, strength of inquiries coming out of the Middle East mm, and sure. Kuwait, Saudi, etc. So we thought it was high time that we should put our roots down in Dubai and have a platform here with a team and a dedicated infrastructure that enables entrepreneurs to get investment, build, scale and, and grow their business. Mm-hmm. So anyone could be, feel free to pitch you this afternoon, send over their resume, their big idea. What, what stage is it at here in the UAE? Um, so actually we're quite advanced. We have a local partner that's been established there for many, many years. We're in the process of making an offer to our CEO in Dubai. We've already met a stream of entrepreneurs that we've already been assessing and I'm delighted to say that we actually are going to back our first entrepreneur in Dubai that we'll be launching in November. So it's way ahead of schedule. That's Dubai. Things move fast here. They really do. And mm. um, you as you know, you live internationally, your family does. And when it comes to I guess entrepreneur trends, you know, startup businesses and things, what are you seeing, you know, internationally that you find particularly interesting? Um I find it strange that although we're based out of the UK and that that's where the business was founded, but yesterday I was in Sydney and I found that incredibly entrepreneurial. The week before that I was in Singapore and I think, you know, the DNA of that culture Mm -hmm. and that environment is so dynamic and so entrepreneurial. You come to Dubai and to me, this is the Silicon Valley of the East. You know, I think that the concept of kind of a trading mentality 
and an entrepreneurial society and a community, you know, you can just sense the the excitement of business and starting business entrepreneurs, etc. So I, I sense this is going to be an amazing platform for us, for sure. We're really happy that you're here. Now, do you think entrepreneurs are born or made? Can they be raised? Um, I think I've been asked that question just about four and a half million times. I want to know right here. <laughs> I think, you know, there is definitely an element that's in your genes. But I think you still need to be developed because mm. I think the principles of business, the economy, technology, finance, etc., you're not born with that. So I think what you're born with is maybe that drive, that ambition, that determination. But that's got to be honed. It's got to be cultured. It's got to be developed. It's got to be educated if you're going to go all the way. So I think it's a combination of both. And confidence as well. You know, you can have a great idea, but you have if you haven't got the self-esteem, the confidence to see it through. Might, I think it might, it's critical. Yeah. Absolutely critical. We've got lots of questions for you, James. Collins. I'm ready. 4001 if you want to pick the brains, uh, the brains right here on the show. Um, Trina, and we're going to come back to this because we're going to have a couple of minutes for James to think about it, saying, Hi both, I'm in the process of setting up a home and pet care business. Lots of demand in my area for people to look after, to look after people's pets and plants when they travel. Initially, it'll be me doing this personally, then hopefully taking on staff as needed. However, I can't come up with a name. Would love your advice. Right, we're going to have a couple of minutes to think about this, Trina, and anyone listening today, by all means. So it's going to be a house and pet care business. This is Trina's, Trina's dream. So looking after pets, watering plants, maybe walking dogs, taking, checking in on cats. What should she call it? Um, and a bit of a conundrum that we're going to be coming to next. No Name is saying, my friend has started a tech company and is looking for initial investment from friends and family first. How can I delicately refuse? We're getting the experts' take on that next. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Joining us live in the studio now, James Kahn, CBE, one of Europe's most influential entrepreneurs. He's got an enormous business portfolio. Despite leaving school with no qualifications, yet it was his three-year stint on Dragon's Den that really did help raise his profile and make him a very familiar face in the enterprise landscape. And he's here in Dubai uh, to answer my questions, but most importantly yours, an amazing opportunity to pick his brains. If you have a business idea or indeed looking to grow that, get in touch. Uh, James, we had a really interesting message from Trina who needs a bit of branding advice saying, I'm in the process of setting up a house and pet care business, looking after people's pets and plants when they go on holiday. I just can't come up with a name. Would love your advice, James. Um, I think the first name that comes to my mind for that business, Home Alone. Love it. Love it. <laughs> do it. Trina, please do it and let us know how it goes. Um, and no name on this message. And if you prefer to be anonymous for whatever reason, I really don't mind a bit. Um, anonymous asking, a friend has started a tech company and is looking for investment from friends and family first. How can I delicately refuse? I have my doubts about it as a concept, but don't want to offend by explaining that. I think it's a really good question because when I first started my business, um, my first temptation was to go to my dad, um, which is the natural thing to do. But exactly like you, because I wasn't really sure if, if it was going to work or not, I just didn't feel confident in approaching him. And I suppose deep down inside, I was scared to lose his money. Mm -hmm. So I didn't actually go. Um, I just said, look, for the first round... 
I'd like to go the conventional route, you know, and go to a bank or raise money from venture capital or angel investments. And then once it's up and running, because businesses require capital throughout their journey, it's not always at the beginning. And then once I know what I'm doing and I'm more confident, mm. then I will come back to you. But I totally understand and respect that sometimes it is awkward. Uh, and that's how I did it. And I didn't actually take the money initially from friends and family. So if you have been approached as a friend or a family member and you don't want to put your hand in your pocket, how can you say no? Um, I think you just say at that time that you want to go the conventional route. Mm. Uh, and lots of people do that. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when, when business and, and friendship or family kind of muddy the waters a little bit. We've had a message on this actually about a business partner that we're going to come to after half past. Um, anonymous message on the text line here for you, James, saying, how can we scale our business if we don't have access to an investor? Um, I think what I found in my own career is capital is just one component. I think a lot of businesses can grow, can scale by driving revenue and just winning more business. The definition of scale is to create more revenue. And you don't always need capital for that. You know, I think sometimes in my particular line of work, you know, we grow our business by attracting more people. And you can attract people through equity, you can attract people through, uh, you know, incentive performance bonus. If you look at Dubai, you know, most of the people here today who sell real estate, you know, actually don't get paid a fixed sum of money. Mm -hmm. And they are huge businesses. So I think capital is one component. And I think the thing that I found since I've been in the Middle East is a lot of entrepreneurs believe that by growing their business, as soon as the business gets profitable, it, it becomes valuable or it can be sold. So when I meet, meet entrepreneurs in Dubai, they say, I'm going to exit my business in three to five years. The truth is, if you're going to grow or scale a business, business needs more than just profit. It needs infrastructure, it needs brand, it needs back office, it needs finance, it needs not a concentration risk. A lot of the business in the Middle East are typically very dependent on the founder. And if you want to scale a business to exit, you need to have a management team. You need It needs to be more than just you. So I think when you're looking at scaling, just be conscious that there are many component parts that you need to have above and beyond just the profit. Can I ask you what success looked like to you as a young man starting upon your entrepreneurship journey and, and how that definition of success has changed as you've got older? I think it's very important when you start out that you take baby steps. So if you'd met me when I just started and you said to me, define success, at the time I was in a tiny broom cupboard with no windows and my ambition at the time was if I did well, I would love to have an office with a window. Once I had the office with a window, oh, that's so sweet. if you said to me, define success, and I would say, I'm a bit lonely because I'm on my own and I have nobody to talk to. And if I did well, I'd love to hire somebody. So there'd be two of us. So throughout my career, I've just given myself those baby steps that I can touch and feel. Mm -hmm. So I think when you set success, it's all relative to where you are. Mm -hmm. Great answer. 
Great answer. James Khan is with us this afternoon. Um, he has made his name on Dragon's Den, but also in a huge field of entrepreneurship. We have got so many questions for him, unsurprisingly. He's here in Dubai for his own business purposes, but also having, having a bit of grandpa time too. <laughs> I'm curious what advice he gives to his children and what businesses he thinks his grandchildren might be in down the line. We're going to touch on that next. James Khan, CVE. He's also the founder of Recruitment Entrepreneur. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Live in the studio, James Khan, CBE. He is the British-Pakistani entrepreneur, author, television personality, very well known as one of the investors on BBC's Dragon's Den and the founder of Recruitment Entrepreneur. He's here in the UAE to kick that off and here on air with me to answer your questions. So do feel free to get in touch if there's anything that you need advice on, you want a little helping hand on. Um, I'm going to kind of summarise about 10 messages we've had for you, James, which is basically how should a startup approach potential investors? Any key do's and don'ts that you have found over your career? Um, I think one of the things that I would say is the earlier you attract an investor, the more expensive that capital will be. So once the business has got revenue, then you can command a higher valuation. So the first piece of advice I would give you is to say, try and wait as long as you can, because the more advanced the business is, the least equity you have to give away. I think secondly, once you have a business, you need to make sure that you can demonstrate to an investor where the value lies. So what is the USP of that business? What is the opportunity that shows the investor he can make a return? So when I was at Dragon's Den, you know, we would have people spending ages explaining way too much detail, which didn't really engage the investor. So I think if you can get to that kind of USP as quick as you can to get their interest and their excitement and, and let them see your ambition, your drive, your passion, your commitment, your conviction and belief in what you're doing. And that can generally get people pretty excited. I think if you have something, demonstrate why your particular product or service, you know, what is the key differentiator? Because so many businesses are just too similar to everything else that's available. And business right now is a very crowded market. So what is it about your business that stands out that's going to excite the investor to see the opportunity? And finally, you know, if you are looking at valuations, be realistic, be practical, because investors are very used to seeing deals literally every day. And if you're not realistic, you can put the investor off very quickly and end up with no investment. There we go. That's beautifully summarised. Thank you, James. Great follow-up question, though, from Leanne saying, as an investor, do you go with your gut or do you focus purely on the stats and figures? Um, I think I personally, and I'm, I'm not saying this is what everybody does, but certainly for me, I think I always start with the gut. You know, I have to believe in the person. Mm. You know, I fundamentally, for the last 25 years, have only ever invested in people because to me, it is business that creates you know, people who create businesses, not the other way around. The stats are clearly important and you've got to understand the numbers and it needs to make commercial sense. But if the person doesn't have that X factor, for me, the numbers are irrelevant. Great question here. Anonymous one on the text line saying, what do you suggest when you go into business with a friend, but they don't work hard or seem to value the company as much as you do? I'm in this situation and feel sick with worry about it every day. Um, funny enough, I have been in that position myself. 
you know, I think when you start out, of course, the temptation to take on people, you know, that you know, or family or friends, etc., you know, seems to make sense. And it's a bit easy. Uh, and I was in that position myself. And at the end of the day, I don't think by doing nothing, you are doing your friend any favors. And you're not doing the business any favors. And as the owner of that business, I think you have a responsibility to make the right decisions. The difference between success and failure in business is being able to make those tough calls. And I think instinctively, you know what you need to do. You just need that push to do it. James Khan's giving you a push to put on your big girl or boy pants and have a have what might be a tricky conversation. But that's absolutely right. The last thing you want to do is look back and go, God, I wasted so much time being sick with worry and not taking any action and ultimately losing time. Um, this is your last chance to get in touch. James Khan, CBE, is with us this afternoon. If you've got any questions for him about your business, growing it, starting it, get in touch. 4001, you can use your ARN play up or you can do what Hamney's done and give us a call. Uh, hi, James. I am uh, co-founder and CEO of a new platform uh, for bartering here in, uh, based in UAE. Uh, I'd like to uh, know if you can help us uh, with uh, some advice on how to scale up uh, the platform and our community uh, as it's a new concept and uh, uh, it needs a lot of adoption. Okay. Not much information to go on, but what does your gut tell you there? Um, I think that business sounds like an online business and I've been involved with a number of online businesses and I think the key challenge will be how do I drive traffic to that platform and in today's world for entrepreneurs I think that is the one big challenge we all face we have great ideas but how do we get traffic and right now I think the one thing that I found particularly successful is social media it is of course a very crowded market but it does work if you can somehow generate interesting posts, become a thought leader and put information out there that demonstrates why your bartering platform is unique, it's different, it's exciting, you will start to, to drive traffic. I embraced social media a few years ago and I you know, used to have this view that social media was a young person's game and never really took it seriously until I saw the power that social media has. And I started writing kind of thought leadership posts and giving ideas and giving business tips. And today, you know, I think I'm ranked number seven in the world, most followed person on LinkedIn. Wow. And, you know, so I know it works. It's not easy. And people say, but James, it's okay for you and you're well known. That's actually not true because trust me, I can write a post that bombs. So despite, you know, that I'm well known and well established, you know, it doesn't mean anything because if the content that I generate is not of interest, it will bomb. Mm. So you still have to be creative, think outside the box. But I think through Instagram, Twitter, you know, Go where TikTok, your people are. Yeah, there's so many opportunities that you have mm. and it can be done. So I, my strong advice would be, you know, use social media, do a podcast, you know, do thought leadership posts, post things on Facebook because you can drive traffic. The more traffic you drive, the more value your business becomes and more customers that you attract. You have the best business in the world, but if nobody knows about it, absolutely, what is the point? Now, you are a father, a grandfather, and I'm wondering what your predictions are for the future when it comes to startups or businesses, areas, industries that are going to explode. What do you expect your grandchildren are going to be doing, you know, 20, 30 years down the line? I think, I think they'll be running businesses that don't even exist today. You know, I think the world is changing at such a rapid rate you know, even if you look at autonomous cars, you know, that, that are inevitably going to arrive, 
you know, maybe, you know, my grandson is going to be running an Uber business that, that has no drivers. <laughs> you know, um, I, I think technology and artificial intelligence, you know, is rapidly developing in terms of things that we haven't even seen yet. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that my grandchildren will have businesses that you and I probably haven't even thought about today. It's exciting, isn't it? Very exciting. I think you're probably going to be around, you know, what, what, what was age you were saying off air that you'd like to work until? And my target for retirement is 92. That's the date I've set for myself. <laughs> I'm trying to be realistic and I don't want to rush it. <laughs> you have failed to retire three <laughs> times now. Um, we're offering, I think, a little bit of counselling as well as business advice this afternoon. We've had some really kind of personal messages because sometimes business is personal and, and no name on this message saying... Um, Talking really about the impact of COVID, um, saying I had to close my business last year and have been in a depression since. COVID-19 was brutal to my industry. I'm lucky that my wife owns a salary, but I'd like to get back into something entrepreneurial. I'm just feeling really stuck with low confidence and set back. I think COVID was a big challenge, I think, for a lot of us, and including me. You know, I went through an incredibly difficult time because it wasn't me, it wasn't my industry, it wasn't the sector, it was the entire world that literally shut down. You know, we faced situations that we could never have imagined. I think it was really, really hard for a lot of people. But you were an entrepreneur before, you had a business before, you demonstrated to yourself you could do it. You know, a setback, you know, every entrepreneur has setbacks in their career. You know, but what makes us who we are gives us the strength that separates us you know, from other people is our drive, our determination, and, and most importantly, our belief in ourselves. So, you know, all I can say is COVID is over. The world has recovered. Business is back. And you need to embrace that and demonstrate what you can do and just believe in yourself because you've done it before. And please keep us posted. Lastly, for anyone that does want to find out a little bit more about your venture here in the UAE, Recruitment Entrepreneur, what's the best way of reaching out and connecting with you and maybe working with you in the future? Um, I'd be delighted to hear from you. I'm very accessible on LinkedIn. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn or my private equity firm, which is jc at hbpe.com. Thank you so, so much. And if you would like James's details, I'd be happy to share his LinkedIn profile. If you send me a little message on 4001, James Khan, enjoy Dubai. I think you're going to have a nice mix of work and pleasure and eating out and family time and hopefully be seeing your face around the UAE a lot more in the future. Look forward to it. And thank you so much. Thank you so much, James Khan, CBE. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Truly one of the most useful things you will hear all week. Joining us live is Ludmilla Imalova from HPL Imalova & Pluka, otherwise known as our resident legal eagle. She is on hand between now and five to help you out. Whether you're looking to test the water, to find out a bit of an action plan, or looking behind the headlines for a bit more clarity, if you do have a legal question on any aspect of the law, and I am talking... Well, we've had it all already on, on text today. We've had fake social media profiles. We've had um, insurance for unemployment. We've had travel bans and more. So please do get in touch if there's anything that is on your mind. Ludmilla Malava, what's keeping you busy at the minute? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> a whole series of new laws. Uh, it's just another sort of, it's, a, it's like a Christmas uh, all over again. The last time I think we saw this kind of flurry of uh, new legislation and new activity was... Uh, in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, and here we are again, there's a whole flurry of uh, 
new and very exciting, uh, either amendments to the previous laws, uh, fairly new laws, or, or brand new laws altogether. So we've just been busy mulling over all that new legislation and trying to figure out how it uh, what it means and how it applies and when it's um, when it's it's um, applied altogether. We've so had- that's kind of been been keeping us busy. And that's why we really value your time, to be honest. You are the one kind of acting as a bit of a translator between some of these legal documents and how it can apply to our lives as as UAE um, citizens, Dubai dwellers. So if anyone does need a bit of clarity on any of those guidelines, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, Can we start with this message actually touching on that? This is from Terry saying, "Um, I've heard if you lose your job and are unable to find a new one in the next six months, you can lose your golden residency. Is that true? You know, it's interesting. We've heard a whole uh, sort of number of these kinds of speculations from different angles and different sources. I'm not sure exactly where it's coming from, because I have to tell you what this question relates to is the new immigration law, which was, um, I, I guess, published in the official Gazette in July and is, is coming into effect kind of as, as we speak. Uh, so and because it's such an or such an overarching overhaul of the UE immigration laws and legislation, uh, it will take some time to see how each one of these new visas and new um, uh, permits actually applied in practice. So whatever we're hearing right now, I would be cautious uh, to take it as at face value, uh, because every time we um, we hear any of these kind of um, comments, we go to the sources directly, be it to immigration or to the various Amherst centers, which are basically an offshoot from immigration authorities. And and we ask, so, so to speak, from the horse's mouth, you know, what is really going on? I have to tell you, and so the, the word uh, of the day today is that it's still it's still taking hold. Uh, so these legislations are still uh, being put into place. So I don't think anybody definitively knows exactly how each one of these types of visas will actually work. Uh, so I'd be I'd just caution to mm-hmm. to jump to conclusions. But uh, I will tell you from a, a legal standpoint and from a logical standpoint, that should not matter because once you get your uh, this golden visa, basically the whole idea of a golden visa, it's a self-sponsorship. So which means you're sponsoring yourself. So um, you know, the idea of of having that visa be um, canceled just because you haven't fa- found a job kind of contradicts the very exactly. essence of the visa. So I don't I don't think so. I think uh, it perhaps applies to some other type of visa. So, But as more information comes forward, we'll definitely keep sharing and clarifying. You should, in theory, be golden for, uh, for for that whole time period depending on on the regardless rather of the role oh i've got so many questions for you Ludmilla. okay let's let's um let's actually come back to something that has been the headlines recently sarah saying hi Ludmilla. how does the unemployment insurance work and how can i get it Okay, so um, the unemployment insurance is a brand new law. We did not have anything. It's not an amendment to a previous law, and it's uh, uh, not a clarification. It's it truly a, a brand new piece of legislation. So everything we know is very, very new and yet to be tested. But what we do know is that uh, what we what has been issued so far, that's the federal decree law number 13 of 2022 regarding insurance for unemployment, and that's kind of the main substantive law. Uh, and the law refers, as is uh, usually the case, to a number of regulations and decisions to follow in the future uh, that will clarify further aspects of the law. So what we have is sort of the main legislative framework, if you will, in terms of how unemployment insurance uh, will at a high level look like. Uh, but in terms of how it will be applied and the very kind of nitty gritty nuanced uh, questions, those ones will be clarified further in in subsequent regulations and decisions. Now, so for the time being, what we do know 
is we know, and I think it's important, kind of the objective of this unemployment insurance. I mean, it's the, the purpose of it is to ensure basically income during unemployment and uh, provide social security and continue to attract and retain world's best talent for the country. I mean, these are the definitive statements because uh, they show the purpose of how of, of this insurance and how it will ultimately be implemented. So it actually will apply to both public and private sector. Uh, and But it will um, have a few exclusions or limitations, such as, for example, part-time employees will not be subject to this uh, insurance, uh, uh, as is the case with owners of businesses and domestic workers. So these categories are ultimately excluded from being able to apply or um, or be subject to unemployment insurance. Uh, the maximum insurance compensation is for a period of um, uh, three months, uh, and it's up to 60% of so the m- monthly uh, contributing salary, and we're still trying to figure out what that means. Mm, it's like uh, but, it's base but maximum, or total, you know. Exactly, exactly. But maximum of 20,000 uh, 20, per month. Okay. Uh, so also, you know, many people are asking, so who is going to pay for it? Is it the burden of the employer or the employees? This is, this is where we have to kind of watch that space and, and the, to learn as the law is being implemented further. Thank you, Ludmilla. If you need some extra clarity on any of recent law changes or announcements, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Or indeed, if anything is on your mind, please, this is your chance. Don't be shy. You can be anonymous if you prefer. Up next, uh, anonymous message saying, my ex-boyfriend made a, a fake social media profile for me using my pictures. He's also threatening to send private pictures to relatives. How can I protect myself? And uh, we've got a message here about a case being raised against a resident here in the UAE. She's currently being detained without a passport. We're going to be unpicking that with Ludmilla next. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Ludmilla Malava joining us live to take my questions, but most importantly yours on the legal front. So please don't hesitate to reach out if anything is giving you a bit of a headache, sleepless night or just a bit of confusion. Um, anonymous, if you prefer, and Ludmilla, this message has come in on the text line uh, requesting no name, please, saying, my dear friend has had a case raised against her, was not notified of the same, and then had a second case raised and finally on arrival at DXB Airport was shocked at being detained for two days with no explanation. This was a month ago. She was then called in and shown a Facebook statement that was not made by her, but by a third party. The second case has not been shared. This is causing high stress as her passport has been taken by the prosecutor. Please advise, how long can her passport be legally held without a case as she needs to travel? Um, can she raise a counter case against the person who raised the case for harassment and sue for, for costs and damages? This individual represents a company and has raised several similar cases under his name. And three, has an individual, uh, has an individual no rights to refuse to surrender that passport? No name, please. So a lot to unpick here. Can you, can you help? Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, one, it is a very distressing case, and uh, unfortunately, that's um, the process in the UAE whenever you have criminal complaint uh, filed against you. So there's something that uh, you just you need to be patient about and believe and have faith that, uh, especially if you're another one who posted the uh, made the, the Facebook posting, that it's just a matter of time before the case gets resolved and uh, you will be acquitted. Uh, so uh, for the time being, the process is such that whenever the criminal complaint is raised, uh, you either your passport is being taken uh, or you're being put on a blacklist. So one way or the other, your ability to leave the country is limited while the case is being first investigated and then ultimately uh, tried. Uh, so um, so this is this is not to say that you have been found guilty uh, and um, 
and it's not to say that you will be found guilty, it's just for the time being procedurally, that is the process in the UAE. So what this relates to is a criminal case. So it's not a civil case. In a civil case, you would not necessarily be, well, in most cases, you would not uh, be put on, on the travel ban or in your passport would not be seized. Uh, so what me, what it, this means is that someone filed a criminal case against you, and perhaps it sounds like two. Uh, if it refers to a Facebook post, it's perhaps some kind of comments that were made on your Facebook or on your friend's Facebook um, account. Uh, they were disparaging or defamatory uh, or um, the were in breach of somebody's privacy in the UAE. And in the UAE, uh, under the cybercrime law, all of these is basically a crime. And it's a crime that is sanctioned by, under the penal code and the cybercrime law, which falls under the criminal domain. Uh, so anything related to, um, uh, to, to disparagement, reputational damage, uh, insult, breach of privacy, any such offenses are criminal in the UAE, and the process is exactly what the, the, your friend is, is facing, which is somebody makes a report to the police, the police investigates this case, and if they think there's enough uh, serious um, evidence, then they will uh, they will call the um, uh, the defendant, and then the defendant will make a statement, and for the time being, they will keep the passport, or this time, I shall surprise that they even took the passport, because for the time, uh, these days, they just basically put uh, create a travel travel ban mm -hmm. uh, and so without the need to actually deposit the passport but one way or the other you cannot leave the country uh, so and then once the case when the police investigates it if there's enough evidence then they uh, then they uh, transfer to the prosecution and then the prosecution can also dismiss the case at that point and if not then the prosecution will try it in court so that's sort of the process so it's a staged process and this is why it takes uh, so much time that being said i will have to tell you you also in a case like this you need to be very vigilant and you yourself need to actually go to the police and not be afraid because ultimately you've already, your friend has already spent a few days in jail, so they won't put her in jail again. Uh, but she needs to follow up or hire a lawyer who would follow up with the authorities just to make sure that either the police if finishes investigation and either closes or archives the case, that's that's the phrase, to archive the case, or at least transfers to prosecution. Because once it's a prosecution, then you can push the case along mm -hmm. faster. So that's sort of the process. And unfortunately, you just, um, you know, the longer, the longer, because there's so many stages, there's the police, there's prosecution, then there is the court. So the longer each one of these stages takes place, obviously the longer they will hold the passport and will she will be unable to travel. But the longest time these days, can be at the police stage because they just they were overwhelmed and so it may take them quite a bit of time to actually investigate or, or complete the investigation before they transfer to the prosecution once it's prosecution things actually move much faster so it's in your interest to to, to make sure that Keep the police driving. either close it mm -hmm. or the, yes or, or at least transfer the prosecution Thank you, Ludmilla. And to Anonymous and your friend, um, please do keep us posted. I'm happy to connect with you with Ludmilla privately if you do need some advice. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Ludmilla Yamalova standing by, ready to take your questions. And my goodness, we've had a real last minute flurry. So, but give a bit of a quick fire round. We are very much here to help on any aspect of the law that you need a bit of guidance on. Maybe you're not even sure if you need to instruct a lawyer. Maybe we can give you an action plan, a website that can help but we cannot get those answers unless you pick up your phone and message us using 4001 ARN Play app or, of course, your WhatsApp too. You don't need to put your name on if you would prefer not to. Ludmilla, question here um, on the business front saying, we came to Dubai full of ambition. We created our own company. A year later, without earning a single penny, we li we've lost 35,000 dirhams from our savings and now we need to close the company. We didn't know we needed to pay for that. I'm so tired of the situation. It's always bad news. 
um, and always needing to pay. Can you please advise me how to close down in the cheapest way? Um, we are literally broken, need to find jobs um, and want to do it legally. A- any insights there, Ludmilla? Yeah, the short of it is the easiest and the cheapest way to get rid of an existing company is to sell it. Uh, sell it, I mean, sell, sell the share, the transfer the shares to someone else. Uh, so it could be at zero value, zero dirhams, uh, but you're ultimately just passing on the, the, the license to someone who may want to have a corporate structure and and try it out to, um, on their own to, you know, with a business idea. Mm-hmm. So that would be the easiest and the simplest way. And you'd be surprised there's plenty of people out there who much prefer to take off uh, to take on somebody else's business uh, than uh, set up their own license. But this, however, is provided that the company itself does not have liabilities. And I'm not sure that's the case based on the listeners. A message. So, uh, but if you can, that would be the best the best way. Otherwise, your only uh, other legitimate alternative is to uh, close down the company, as you said, and that means liquidation. That's part of liquidation, and you need to appoint a liquidator and kind of look at the process, making sure that the company doesn't have any creditors or cre- there are no creditors that have um, claims on the company. And so, because before the company is closed, you need to make sure that those credit those credits are settled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not it's not a simple process. It is very true that it's much easier to open a company in in the union and close it. Uh, so, um, and that's one of those cases where, you know, I highly encourage people to perhaps uh, uh, spend a little bit of money at the outset, especially if you're foreign or you're new to the country, because it's uh, there's loads of opportunities here. It's a very exciting place to live and work, uh, but it has its own nuances and, and there are costs to everything. So I, my recommendation is just um, let this be a painful lesson, but next time around, just um, seek some guidance ahead of time from someone who runs a business so that they can advise you as to what it go, what it takes to run a business in, in the UAE, because it is quite a pricey exercise and enterprise. Thank so um, that's that's basically my, my only sound advice is try to sell the shares and the next time ask questions before you dive into it. And um, I'm sorry for... Absolutely. You know, sorry that you're going through this, but I also think incredible advice for anyone that's thinking about starting a business. You know, what goes up often does need to come down and making sure you've got the resources to exit um, from the outset. Um, Anonymous message here saying, hello both, my ex-boyfriend made a fake social media profile using my pictures. He's also threatening to send my private pictures to close relatives. How can I protect myself? This is really timely actually because I've had a number of people on Instagram that I follow, that I know, saying that they've had people setting up accounts using different names but their photos and interacting with people um, in their name. Um, and they've reported them. And the, this platform in particular saying they see no reason, see that no crime is, is, is being committed. I've had this myself. Um, in fact, um, people setting up accounts with just a very subtle name change, trying to scam people out of money, which is incredibly distressing. Um, but I wondered, Ludmilla, what can you do? And, and for the record, I did contact the police and they were incredibly helpful. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, this is unfortunately kind of the perils of the social media mm-hmm. extravaganza. It's just that it's all too easy to become famous, but equally so, it's all too easy to just have your whole online existence be destroyed or taken over uh, or hijacked from you and your whole reputation uh, tarnished. So that's unfortunate that you have to be very, very um, vigilant about what you put out there and then what's on, on this, your social profile and who has access to it. Now, uh, with that in mind, so the UAE does the cybercrime law that I mentioned earlier does provide for these kinds of offenses, and they are criminal in the UAE. Uh, now, what you can do about it is uh, you file an e-crime because it, it does relate to any to the digital 
crime. So therefore, there's an e-crime uh, portal on the prosecutor's website uh, or um, the police site. So it's it's a it's called an e-crime complaint. You file an e-crime complaint, and then from there on, they will investigate. And it's important that you do it to the e-crime division versus the police, for example, exactly. because the e-crime is the ones who can actually then go back behind the scenes, basically, and figure out that and, and differentiate the two accounts and see that, in fact, whoever is using that other account is not you. Uh, so that would be your best bet, but but again, once again, be prepared because it's a, a fairly it's fairly demanding exercise for the authorities. But certainly, there are there are there's recourse there. You just need to be pay, face, uh, patient. In the meantime, uh, put out a message to everyone, broadcast so loud and, and broad about uh, this account being hacked, so that some so under the same account, some other offenses or crimes are not being committed, and therefore that you are inadvertently not implicated in those. Absolutely, I would say. E-crimes were incredibly helpful. They were on WhatsApp with me taking screen grabs. I think the people that were kind of recreating my account were in Turkey, but they still were incredibly helpful of making sure it was it was shut down. And I did exactly that, Ludmilla. Said on my Instagram stories, you know, this account is fake. Please report them because they blocked me. It's really stressful. It's really, really stressful. I'm so sorry you're going through this, especially from someone that you have obviously trusted in the past. Um Okay, Ludmilla, we've got a few minutes left, so I'm going to squeeze in as many as we can. No name on this message saying, um, I just want to ask if my brother can come back to the UAE if he hasn't paid the bank. That's all it says, so I don't know if that is um, unpaid charges or outstanding loans or debts, but what happens in that situation, Ludmilla? It, so it depends. It depends on whether the bank filed either a criminal case or a civil case uh, and whether there's a judgment against the, your brother. So what uh, I recommend you do is that if you're in the country or designate somebody else in the country who has a power of attorney from him, uh, best would be a local advocate, for example, who then approach the authorities and see whether there is a case. And if there is a case, what type of a case it is. And if there is a case, sort of how that particular case can be settled. Uh, so that's your starting point, because it's not necessarily to say to say that every loan resulted or unpaid loan resulted in a uh, in a criminal complaint. It's only if the bank actually goes to the authorities and, and makes the effort to report it. OK, thank you, Ludmilla. Um, OK, so this, this message has come through in three parts. So I'm going to go through them one by one, but it's from the same listener saying, if wife wants a divorce, will the husband still be liable to provide the wife's maintenance along with the kids, considering this is a Muslim family and marriage was contracted in the home country? Is there any way to get free legal advice on family matters in Dubai? And can an unwilling spouse be forced for counselling for the welfare of the kids in any way? Let's start with, with the top Um Paying, paying for maintenance. So Muslim family, they got married outside of the country. Yes. Yeah, so uh, as a Muslim family, uh, you, the father would have the guardianship for the child and the mother would have custody if the children are below the age of 11, 13. Uh, now, as a guardian, the father will have continuing obligation to pay for the children, ch- children's expenses. That includes uh, schooling, uh, children's um, uh, maids or nannies, uh, housing, food, and so on and so forth. So anything related to the children, you, the father will have will have continue, uh, continuous obligation to pay. And with regards to the wife, um, there is some alimony that is paid to the wife, but it's fairly limited. It could be just, in, just a few thousand dirhams um, or may not be anything at all depends on the circumstances, uh, but it's fairly limited uh, alimony and it's more for the wife in while she is ha- uh, taking, cust- uh, taking care of the children. So it's not for her as an individual, it's more for her as a custodian of mm-hmm. the children. Uh, so there's that. Uh, now, I think the second question was about the free legal advice. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, perhaps free sources of information uh, out there. There's podcasts, um, 
there is uh, different portals of, 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 you know, like the, the Dubai Eye, for example, this is your free legal uh, clinic. Uh, so that's per perhaps um, kind of the universe of free legal advice, of quality legal advice that I would refer uh, the listener too. And now in terms of pro bono uh, firms and such, it's a lot more rare here. Um, there's some bigger law firms may have pro bono clinics or pro, pro bono departments that will offer some limited uh, pro bono or free legal advice. And I think the last part of the question was about... Can an unwilling uh, spouse be forced for counselling for the welfare of the kids in any way? It could be, yes, if uh, if you present enough evidence to the court that for some reason uh, the, the wife requires or the mother requires counseling and it would be in the interest of the children, yes, the court can, but you have to prove your cause and then the court can as part of the judgment order uh, for a, a mandatory counseling for one parent or the other. Okay, I really hope that helps and resolves whatever situation you've found yourself in for the good of you and your family. Um, last message, anonymous one here saying... Um, I have someone who owes me a lot of money. Um, sorry, I have a check from someone who owes me a lot of money. I know it will bounce and haven't deposited yet, but it's now been seven years and he keeps giving me current checks. What are my rights in getting my money as I've got emails and texts from him admitting he owes this large sum? So the best thing to do is to file what's called a payment order. It's an expedited administrative court claim uh, where you have a, conf a confirmation of debt and based on what the listener said, uh, a check and various confirmations even through WhatsApp or emails acknowledging that there is an outstanding debt uh, constitutes confirmation of debt. So this would qualify for you to file what's called an order on petition. Or, or payment order, which is a form of order and petition. Uh, and once you file that and you present all this evidence that you've just uh, listed out, then the court will issue within just a few days, a day or two, will issue a decision confirming the debt. And then you'll have to uh, serve that to the other side. And if it goes unchallenged within 15 days, it becomes enforceable. And then you can proceed and enforce it as a, as a, as a for judgment. And with that particular judgment, you can seize accounts, you can freeze assets, and uh, you can even request uh, travel bans and any other kind of leverage uh, that, uh, you know, gets a person as long as they have some sort of interest or assets in the UAE. So you are very much protected there as the, the person who's owed. Actually, do you know what? We've got about 30 seconds. So I'm going to put this message saying, my friend's going to be leaving the UAE for good. She's got a loan that she cannot yet pay in full, but she will continue paying once she's in her new job location. Plus the gratuity she knows she'll get will be going directly. Um, will she be allowed to exit the UAE? Uh, for sure. So it's not to say that just because you have a loan, somehow you get automatically banned from traveling. Not at all the case. Uh, you just need to make sure that you communicate with the bank uh, in time so that they don't uh, they don't try to file a, a case. But th at this point, it's not even, it would not even be mature just because you haven't defaulted yet. Just because mm -hmm. you don't have a job does not mean that you've defaulted. So until you've defaulted, the bank has no case to file against you. So absolutely, you can travel, but certainly just to avoid any kind of complications in the future, notify your bank and make sure that you continue to pay. And as long as your loan is paid, that you are not breaching any laws. Ludmilla, you're an absolute superstar on the nose with the timing there. Thank you so, so much. Ludmilla Malava, you can be found at HPL, La Malava and Peluca. And where are you on social media? Everywhere is the short answer. If anyone wants to contact you. Yeah, so the best way is to look us up on our website, which is lylawyers.com. Uh, and then from there, you can be directed to all sorts of uh, social media platforms that uh, we try to share a lot of free legal advice on. Just about to say, speaking of free resources, having a look there at the headlines as they come in and happy to talk about any hot topics as well. Ludmilla Malava, we'll catch up with you next week. Have a wonderful evening ahead. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. 
Have you had a mentor? Is it something you have craved? Or do you really recognise that in your teens there might be a need for someone outside of the family, outside of school, to offer some guidance, a bit of clarity. Um, joining us in the studio right now, Simon Riaz is a career guide for teens and also a mentor with The Link. It's an initiative put on by the Melia Group and they support female entrepreneurs. So as a mentor, she supports women looking to scale up their work, find direction. And if this is you, I'm sure we could answer a few of your questions this afternoon. If you want to get in touch, you can be anonymous if you prefer. 4001 is your SMS. You've got the ARN Play app and, of course, the WhatsApp too. Good afternoon to you. How are you? Good afternoon. Helen, thank you for having me. Well, I love the idea of a mentor, but I think of it being something that that other people do. You know, certain industries. Whenever I speak to chefs, they always talk about you know a mentor that changed their life, or in very corporate environments, you know, a, a senior colleague that really took someone under their wing. And I feel like a lot of people could actually really benefit from that. Can you explain a little bit about how and why you got into this? Well, I think for me, it was a very personal journey because growing up as a teenager, I don't think I had any mentors. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we had the typical sort of aunts and uncles around, but nobody I could really sort of relate to in terms mm-hmm. of a career. And I ended up actually, well, dropping out of education, getting married because I felt I had no direction and I felt perhaps, you know, I didn't really want to study or go into higher education. Um, I was miserable being married. Uh, So ended up going back into education as a mature student in my late 20s, uh, which is, and by by that time, I had actually found a couple of very good mentors who guided me back on track and sort of to to study. And that's when I realized the value of actually having people who are not your friends and family, and who can actually guide you more dispassionately mm-hmm. um, into, and, and probably who have a wider view of things than, you know, our friends and family too. That's so, so interesting. That's, that's how I'm here. <laughs> and now you're obviously paying it forward. Yes. And, and working with teens, but also women as well. Can I ask you then kind of specifically around women feeling stuck was was the word that, that came to mind for yes. me? Because, you know, whenever we talk on the show about sometimes careers, but often it might be having a break for having children and not knowing what to do with their CV or as you know, having not perhaps pursued education in the way they wanted to. How on earth do you even start to recognize that and then start to take action? Well, I always start with just having a conversation, you know, just having a one-on-one heart-to-heart conversation with whoever I'm working with, whoever's happy to reach out or feels stuck enough to reach out really and explore the skills that they have. Uh, because a lot of the times, uh, as especially women who have maybe not been in the workplace before, uh, they're not really cognizant of the skills that they have mm-hmm. and they sort of have this kind of an imposter syndrome or they're downplaying what they, what they do know. Um, but there is a lot of value in work that women do which is completely unappreciated. So I help them actually see the value of what they do and then ideate with them as to perhaps how they could monetize it. Maybe not necessarily with a nine to five job, but maybe as an entrepreneur. That's interesting because I feel like, I mean, to my mind, it's very obvious the skills that you know a, a woman has, has acquired and developed raising children that could definitely translate to the workplace. There's no question in my mind where this question of, often is on the em, employer's side. And the, I think there's a whole world of untapped, incredible talent that can't necessarily find 
find a home, you know. Or fi- so when, when you think about entrepreneurship as well, you know, there's some amazing opportunities. It's actually never really been easier or more reasonable to start a business. Um, so how about help, helping someone find their passion? What are some of the questions you can be asking yourself if someone's listening today going, that's me? Well, I think, I think the most obvious question is what do I enjoy doing most and what am I best at? Uh, so I know when, when I was stuck, uh, I had an undergrad degree in economics and statistics, both subjects that I hated. <laughs> Don't and do that th- then. <laughs> yeah, and that's why probably I decided I didn't really want to study further. Mm-hmm. And so I you know, sort of dropped my education. But I, what, what I did realize was that I was amazing with kids. Hence, I mean, I w- got married wanting to have kids because I thought being a mom would be something I'd be great, uh, great at. I hope I am. I am eventually, well now, but um, but really that's what really drove me as a passion and I managed to somehow stumble upon that passion of mine and converted that into a teaching career, which then sort of, you know, the, the path led me to guidance counseling and, and mentoring teens as well along the way. But, uh, but basically, if anyone can identify what they're really good at, there is something out there that you can do to monetize that as well. Uh, if you want to monetize it, and if you don't want to monetize it, you can still pay it forward. Do you get in touch if this is ringing any bells with you or indeed you've got any questions, Simon, with us? Taking your questions and mine, we're going to be talking teens next. The value of having someone outside of the home, outside of the school to help guide them in their career and even help with university applications. If there's something that is on your mind, on your to-do list, this is your chance. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Talking teens now, Saima Askar Riaz is a career guide for teens, also a mentor with The Link, which is an initiative by the Meliak Group. So this is supporting female entrepreneurs, but I'm really keen, Saima, to explore this teen element a little bit more. Frankly, you couldn't pay me to go back. Um, I enjoyed the social side didn't so much enjoy the academic side and when I think about the pressures on today's teens it worry it worries me for my own kids to be honest who are quite a bit younger now um especially when you look at Dubai as being such a kind of well <laughs> intense place uh, a competitive place so when teens come to you or their families more accurately come to you what are some of the things that you ask them guide them on what are you working towards as such I think in terms of the families, a lot of it is about uh, managing expectations from their kids Mm -hmm. because um, sadly we tend to um, just try to pitch our kids against other kids and that's not really doing them any favours. So uh, it's about half the time I'm it's actually counselling the parents and uh, sort of guiding them to, you know, sort of being appreciative of the qualities that their kids have, even if they're not getting the A stars Mm -hmm. or the 38 IB points or whatever uh, because there is in terms of higher education there are loads of op- options for students which may not be your you know sort of the, the toppest ranked universities if that's a word uh, but there are still universities that will really g- give them great careers based on their skills and, and also their learning styles. Mm, that's so, an interesting point in terms of not having the the exact same expectations of children in the class or siblings even. Even siblings, yeah. So, so for example, I mean, again, you know, and I think we all need to reflect back on our own experiences as teenagers, as mm-hmm. kids. We were all teenagers once. I know the kind of assessment that is done in schools and sort of by the uh, boards now, if I was put through those, I would be like, it would probably give me 
panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that, for example, if I'm asked to just do essay, essay-based assessments, I'm fine. But I just cannot handle exams. Even now, I'm, a, I'm an examiner myself for a language exam. Uh, but even now, I feel if I have to give that same language exam, I'd probably go into panic mode. But this is you so, as a grown woman recognizing exactly. that in yourself, you, you know, your, your strengths and, and areas where you don't feel like you perform. And that takes a huge amount of self-awareness that often comes with time. And teenagers don't have that. They're, they are literally being pitted up against each other. And then, as you're saying, the parental pressures as well. Do you find yourself often acting as a bit of a mediator there between teens and parents? I do. I do. And it's, it's again, uh, as I said, you know, I think it's the parents who need to actually recognize the strengths and weaknesses of their of their kids and not always try to find solutions to the weaknesses mm. but actually support those weaknesses and help children manage those weaknesses so what we're trying to do is so i have i have parents who will come to me for example and say oh my daughter's struggling with science and now we're getting a two other tutors to come support us with science and I'm like, well, why don't you get her to drop science and just <laughs> do what she approach. enjoys? And they're like, oh, but how can she drop science at A-levels? Because science is really needed for, you know, for her to keep her options open. And my my take is, well, if she's struggling with science so much now, why should, would she want to keep options open which need science? Why not look at options that need, say, the arts or music or, mm-hmm. you know, history, whatever. So look at look at the strengths of your child and try to guide them towards those because in this, it, it's no longer the time when, you know, we only had like four careers, medicine, engineering, law, and you And you would do that at university and then do it until you die. And then you do it <laughs> until you die. So now you move laterally in your careers and, you know, sort of, you you move laterally, you move vertically, and then you move laterally again. Mm-hmm. So so I think I think it's that because the generations are different. And, and also the universities are now teaching transferable skills that they were not before. Great question here from Pathea saying, um, is it ever too late to start a new career or venture? No, it's never too late. So I trained as a... Um, as I said earlier, my, my first degree was in economics and statistics. When I was 30, I went back to university and did a degree in English language teaching. I'm 50 plus now and I'm a guidance counsellor so, um, and a trainer. So I'm no longer teaching English. It's I, never too late. I've only been doing this for four years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Helen and I didn't plan this career. Um, interesting question here saying, I ended up in a lowly ranked university as I'm not good at exams. Today I sit in a management role with peers who are from some of the top universities across Europe. Children need to understand there are options beyond university and exams. I think children do, but I think parents do as well. We were just in conversation earlier with James Kahn, CBE, one of the UK's most esteemed entrepreneurs. He left school with no qualifications at all and says, you know, he's never going to stop working because he loves what he does what he does he's tried to retire three times and is aiming to keep going until he's 92 and I love this idea of you know pacing your peaks is the best way I can describe it I wouldn't I would hate to be you know at the top of my game at age 22 because where do you go from there you know how lovely would it be to just keep on rediscovering you know passions and projects and something about yourself and meeting people all the way through your life until your 90s. Absolutely. And also every failure is a possibility. So every every failure or every problem is a solution waiting to become an opportunity. And, you know, so every time there's a, a gun, you know, and I always tell my mentees, if you had a failure, turn back, reflect. What Obviously, you know, as we all do, what could I have done better? But what should I not not be trying to do again. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we do say persistence, you know, commands success, but not always. 
sometimes you just give up, go on to do something better or something different and you might succeed. I have to say, when I think about teen mentors, I, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was, I was a bit kind of, this is going to be very, you know, we must be doing X, Y, Z in order to reach the top, top, top. That's not what it's about. It's about people recognising their strengths, their values, their passions to live a really happy and fulfilled life. Absolutely. And a lot of the times, you know, you'll find kids who can't get into, say, their top choice university at the undergraduate level, but then for their masters, they, they end up, you know, going to the best, perhaps one that they hadn't even dreamed of earlier. We've had a, a message here saying, how best to get in touch? This lady sounds amazing. Ah, thank you. How, how, how can families work with you? Oh, they could send me an email. Uh, my email is Saima, S-A-I-M-A, at steps, E-D-U, S-T-E-P-S, E-D-U dot O-R-G. Or you could send me a WhatsApp. My number is 050-356-7080. If you like those details, didn't catch them, by all means, drop me a message and I'd be very happy to reply with them. Simon, thank you so much. I'd love to have you back for a chat about what's kind of trending with teens in education, helping them prepare for university and so much more. We'll we'll get some teens on as well to have a bit of a chat too. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We're talking women in the workplace. What needs to change to support them? How can women help each other? Emma Burdett is with us, the founder of WILD, which stands for Women in Leadership Develop. Sorry, Deliver. She's in the studio. Thank you so much for being with us. We were just talking off air about just the amazing work you do and also how you probably have more hours in the day than Beyonce. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to finally meet you. Oh, thank you. Well, I feel like we've been kind of circling each other for a while because I've met women who have met you, being really inspired by you. And I'm so happy that you're here to kind of share a little bit about what's been happening behind the scenes. Can we can we talk origin story? Women in Leadership Deliver, where did it all begin for you starting this? Yeah, sure. So I've always worked in the corporate sector and I've been in Dubai nine years. In 2016, I had a pretty big director role in Dubai And the business asked me, how do I feel about starting a women's network? So I said, okay, no worries. And it literally, Helen, started as four women and a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And it really was, uh, as I say, a CSR initiative. No one was talking about gender equality six years ago. The group grew to about 15 women. We did incredible work. And I realised that there was a niche in this market for women in the corporate sector. I encountered uh, workplace challenges and actually ended up having a mental breakdown, took time out of uh, work to find my wild and wrote wild from scratch. Don't skip over that. How how long were you, I guess, taking time for you and, and getting back to where you were or even, as you saying, kind of finding yourself? I actually took six months out and um, I, you know, like I say, I'd had a mental breakdown. I really understand what it's like to have a rock bottom moment. And I would say to anyone out there that's struggling or having a hard time that there really is beauty in the chaos because it's in those moments of despair that we crack open to a deeper level and a deeper understanding. It's so hard when you find yourself whether you know out of work by choice or by circumstance to then to build yourself up again because for so many of us and we were just talking to James Khan's CBE earlier about how he's never going to retire because for him work is such a big identity piece 
And when that piece is taken away for many people, it's the who am I now? What am I now? What can I offer? And what's going to make me happy? So how did you start to put those pieces back into place? I actually took myself off to Thailand for my very own version of Eat, Play, Love. <laughs> Good for but, you. <laughs> but um, the story, and I actually tell this as a keynote, is there was lots of eating, lots of praying and not much loving <laughs> at all. Um, but, you know, I really took time to address these fears. And, you know, I think meditation has been a real big lifesaver for me really unpacking these um, things that we learn through societal conditioning, the we're not good enough, the comparison. Uh, I started working with coaches, which I am a coach myself. I'm working with my fourth mentor, but I would recommend anyone to have a coach because they really are able to support you break through and get out of your own way. (laughs) And what about the time because I think you know so many women that you're working with are you know and I'm certainly not saying this is just the case of women because I know a lot of a lot of men out there are very much in the same situation of it being the same day over and over again you know we're told we need to meditate we told we need to exercise there might be kids in the mix you know if you're ambitious in the workplace how do you actually zoom out of that and start, start asking some big questions which often starts with why am I so unfulfilled It's a really great question, Helen, and I think saying that we don't have time is the biggest excuse ever, and my ideal client generally tends to be, I've got a variety of clients, but heavy-hitting women, big corporate roles, big teams, and, you know, they just get up, jump out of bed, feed the kids, do their work, shut the laptop at 7, 8, and then just live life on repeat. And what happens is you get to, you know, early 40s and you're like, what is my life about? You know, who am I exactly to your point? And I'm just such a big advocate for implementing daily habits and rituals. And I always say to my women clients, you give your business or the company so much of you if you can't carve out 30 minutes a day for you to make sure that you're centred and grounded. Um, I think that's really what we need to do. I mean, I spend two hours a day, uh, make my own clients laugh. I have the luxury of, of time as an entrepreneur. But, you know, just doing a gratitude diary just doing a 10-minute meditation or you know, a walk outside in the beach or in the cooler weather in a local park can make so much difference to our uh, energy levels and mm. our vibrations. So habits and rituals, there's absolutely no excuse for them and I really believe that they can be life-changing. Now this is w- working very well for you because you're launching Wild in Riyadh. Tell us about that because this is quite a milestone for, for you but obviously, you know, the kingdom as well. So when I created Wild, I launched it in 2018. And I always had a vision to grow wild throughout the GCC countries and countries that really need a women's network. Uh, Saudi's very much been on my radar with all of the revolution and the changes and in particular, Vision 2030, one of the key pillars is gender equality. So the time is now. It's the 1st of November. I'm absolutely so thrilled to take the wild movement 
to Riyadh, we are the first women's network to go to Saudi Arabia. And I actually can't quite believe it's happening, but it's on the 1st of November and I launched it today. And I'm overwhelmed with people getting in touch, wanting to get behind this programme. So tell us a little bit about what it looks like in practice then. If someone is, you know, part of the Women in Leadership Deliver squad, programme, girl gang, whatever you, (laughs) movement, you described it there as, you know, what actually happens in 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 practice in meetups online so there's a variety of different verticals to wild but essentially we are a movement geared towards gender equality so at its core we have events which are existing and future leaders to come together, share knowledge and expertise and have a sense of solidarity in a safe space. Now, I was really fed up of going to events in Dubai that were sterile and boring and contrived. So WILD really encapsulates what I would call authenticity and we have candid conversations. Another part of what I do, um, I'm in SEAD qualified in gender studies, so I do kind of more formal discussions, bringing men to the conversation, which is vitally important as allies to understand how we can achieve gender equity. So um, in its truest form, its events, we are about to launch Wild Women Collective and also a mastermind group where I mentor women to build out their own customised women's network either on behalf of a corporate or as a business just like Wild with their own dynamic flair. Now we could do a whole hour on this but but to come back to your point about allyship you know the yep. importance of supportive male colleagues and bosses and mentors what do you think needs to change in, in companies to achieve true kind of gender inclusion and, and parity? Allyship is fundamental and it's not that men are better than women or women are better than men. We have complementary skill sets and actually what we find is that when we create that inclusivity, the rewards and merits not only lead to higher corporate returns, increased productivity and innovation, we are infiltrating our society and our economy, right? And I'm still so alarmed when I go and do any talks or presentation that people really don't know what gender equity means. And getting men on board as allies, engineers of change and advocates for women actually makes a fundamental difference. Mm. So it's about working together collaboratively. It's about understanding that we both have unique skills which we can bring to the table and that's how we build inclusive environments. It all starts with awareness. What about any women listening today who have found themselves in jobs they love but perhaps in very male-dominated industries, of which there are quite a few in this part of the world, um, and thinking, great, this sounds fantastic. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to start something of a women's network with my own company, but it's just me. <laughs> it's having lunch on my own. Or it might be a small group or perhaps you know, those higher up are maybe discouraging such a thing. How can women help themselves if they find themselves in an industry that perhaps they don't feel particularly welcome in? 
So I've worked in male-dominated sectors all my career and I think the value of a women's network is just so beneficial. You know, as I say, I built one for a corporate which was 15 and have now turned it into a business. So, you know, I'm incredibly passionate about looking at ways to nurture and retain female talent. We've got global and regional mandates on gender equity and I think the worst thing that a company can do is to just start flying women into the mix it's about those inclusive environments so the mastermind group in January next year is for women to be mentored by me to learn mastery my six years wealth and breadth of knowledge of how to do branding marketing how to run events and masterclasses but you know my advice is start small and also what is completely a game changer is to include external stakeholders so if there is one or two women in the company how about inviting clients along what about suppliers you know there are women all over we make up 50% of the population so yeah it doesn't have to be um just within the business mm-hmm. it can include external stakeholders and that really is a game changer Val is saying where where can we join how can we find out more which is just totally stolen my last question Val but I will let you have it T- uh, tell us Emma how can people learn more about Wild yeah so I'm a big LinkedIner so you can catch me on LinkedIn which is under my name Emma Burdett or my website wildwomenlead.com thank you so much um please please tell me that you manage to relax in the evening you, you put a bit of selling sunset on and just you know have a bit of noodle house please I do my best but I've just she launched... totally doesn't she totally I've doesn't I've just launched three projects so my head is a bit wild good good for you it's wonderful to hear you coming back from what sounded like a really challenging situation to obviously help yourself but to help others as well and we'd love to explore some of the topics we've touched on today Emma thank you so much if you do want the details of wild drop me a little message 4001 I will happily share Emma Bedette's um, LinkedIn and the website too so you can be a wild woman too. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out and you can listen to me live on Dubai I 103.8 Monday to Friday between 2 and 5pm. You've been listening to a Dubai I 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai I in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.